Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's coming up on the podcast today. Is it time for a tough discussion about travel restrictions? The mayor of Oakville, Rob Burton, will join me. And later on in the podcast, John Iveson has got a new book about Robbie Burns. Let's get to it. Hey, where are you going? Where are you off to? Wait, whoa, hold on. Just a second. Where are you going? Where do you think you're headed to exactly? Over the next hour, we're going to talk about travel. We're going to talk about travel restrictions, where it is that you're going, where have you come from. But I begin with, hey, where are you going? Breaking news edition. This just in. The Ford government has tabled a motion in the legislature seeking to extend the tenure of Dr. David Williams as Ontario's chief medical officer of health. You may know that Dr. Williams, he is the lead medical official in the province. He is the one with the glasses and the mustache and the inscrutable way of speaking. He was set to retire in February, but now just in the last few moments in the legislature, the government has said we are going to extend his tenure until September. What are you going to do, retire in the middle of a pandemic? Doesn't make any sense. I don't get that, Dr. Williams. Dr. Williams is now apparently going to continue on as the Chief Medical Officer of Health until September. I was kind of thinking maybe we might be able to do some kind of a sign-and-trade for Bonnie Henry. Is she an unrestricted free agent at all? I don't understand that. Okay, Doc. Well, we get another six, eight months of of not being able to understand you. So that's good. That's good. Where are you going? Where are you off to? That is the question for us this hour. What's your postal code exactly, dude? Are you from around here? Because I think you need to get yourself back to where you live, back to your home color. What's your zone color exactly? That is what's going on in a large portion of this province. As jurisdictions outside of the gray zone, outside of Peel and Toronto, are looking at every single car, every car that pulls up at a restaurant or a hair salon or a mall. Where are you from? I'm going to go grab my coat and I'll be right back. It's a bit chilly outside. Did Did you just blow in from another public health unit? Because if you did, you shouldn't be. As we check those numbers, as you heard, likely know by now, another record, 1,589, 19 deaths in the province of Ontario in the past 24 hours. The hospitalization numbers up 23. The ICUs are up by 9. That's at 156 now. Ventilators up 3 more. Where are you from? Are you from Peel? Because if you're from Peel... You're from a public health unit that's got 535 cases in just the past 24 hours to leave the province. And Patrick Brown has said it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to lock down one area when the area right next door is open, freewheeling. For example, Peel 535 Anybody want to head down to the waterfront and maybe get a, you know, hit a patio in Oakville? Because it's, it's delightful in Halton right now. Yeah, it is. 
Coming up, the mayor of of Oakville will be joining us to talk about whether or not we need to really bring in some kind of restrictions when it comes to travel. And that's the question for you this hour. 416-870-6400. If you live outside of the gray zone, you're up there maybe around, you know, Vaughn Mills. You get up there for the Bass Pro Shop, like, wait, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of people coming up here from Toronto. If you live in Collingwood, when you're looking up at Blue, I mean, you don't have to look up too high, but if you're looking up at Blue, the snow's coming, and you're thinking, hold on, hold on, skiers and snowboarders and outdoor enthusiasts from the gray area, where are you from? Where are you going? Where are you off to? York Region has 205 cases. York Region is not in the gray zone. After lobbying from mayors in that region to say to the Premier, don't tip us into the gray. Uh, And York Region's Medical Officer of Health just this morning issuing a Section 22 order. I got my Section 22. Don't make me get my Section 22 out. And that will require event spaces, malls, and stores to set max capacity limits, ensuring two meters of physical distancing, max of 50 of wedding, at weddings or religious ceremonies, fines as well. A lot of people think that even though York is not in the gray zone right now, that might happen. That uh, 205, that's nothing to... That's nothing just to walk away from. That's nothing. Look at Halton's number, 53. I was talking about the mayor of Burlington, or pardon me, the mayor of Oakville joining us shortly. 53. So 53 cases in the last 24 hours in Halton. Peel's got 535. Right? Now, a lot of that is in the north portion of Peel, North Brampton. But if you're in Oakville, if you're in Halton region right now, you're looking at 53, and you're looking next door, and you're thinking, hold on. Shouldn't we be saying to people from that region, don't be coming on over here? I mean, Burlington, my hometown, it's lovely. Waterfront is nice. Get down there by the waterfront, beautiful. But maybe if you're me and you live in Toronto or you're somebody who lives in Mississauga, you shouldn't be heading that way. It was so interesting to hear when the Premier was asked about this on Friday. You know, what, what he had to say about, you know, whether you should go someplace else. And it was a different tone, you know, when he announced the, all the new restrictions. Different tone from the spring, when in the spring, it was really about, you know, we can't keep people from going to their cottages and we can't, you know, we can't really do that, but maybe stay where you are. And it, was, it wasn't so much that, it was just like to stay put, but not the kind of strong message that we've heard from example, for example, from British Columbia, from their medical officer of health, who really brought down the hammer and said, well, <laughs> didn't bring down the hammer, brought down the recommendation hammer, which is not a hammer at all. Basically to say to the province, do not go outside your zone. If you are from Vancouver, don't go to Whistler. If you're on Vancouver Island, don't travel to Fraser Valley. Yeah, and we haven't really heard that messaging yet that strongly from the Premier. I expect you may hear it today. I think there will be more questions about it today, especially because you have mayors like Patrick Brown, who is in a gray area, saying this doesn't make any sense. 
and mayors in the York region and other portions, you know, Mayor Scarpetti from Markham saying, this doesn't make any sense. People are just heading over here. Please stay put. And when asked about interprovincial travel, because, of course, coming up to Christmas, a lot of people will be thinking, well, you know, I can, I'm allowed to go and visit my grandma in Edmonton. Or I'm allowed to go to Quebec. Or maybe I will take that vacation, fly into Calgary, drive out to Kicking Horse. Oh, I mean, I'm just talking about me now. Going snowboarding, maybe that's the kind of thing you want to do. Well, the Prime Minister was asked about this, whether or not, because he's been asked by the British Columbia Premier to really look at imposing some kind of travel ban on interprovincial travel. In other words, just stay where you are. Here's what Justin Trudeau had to say to that. Uh, what I'm doing right now is telling people uh, not to go out if you don't have to, not to travel if you don't have to, that for the coming weeks, we need to flatten this curve. I think that's the message we're hearing from uh, premiers across the country. Uh, and I think Canadians are going to listen as well. I think the idea of bringing in the Federal Emergencies Act to uh, shut down the borders and uh, guard those interprovincial borders um, is not an idea I am even contemplating right now. Not even contemplating it right now, says the Prime Minister. Meanwhile, in Prince Edward County, that public health unit has said, please don't come. Please. How do we stop people from going from one region to another in this province? How do we stop those that live in Mississauga from enjoying the uh, lovely waterfront in Oakville, for example? Do we need to do something like that? To talk about it, I am pleased to welcome to the program Rob Burton, who is the mayor of Oakville. Welcome, Mayor. Hello, it's a pleasure to be on your show, Alan. Can I begin with uh, something that is just breaking right now, and that is in the legislature within the last about 35 minutes, we've seen a motion being put forward by the government to extend the tenure of Dr. Williams. This is a motion that is asking for unanimous consent, and so far both the NDP and the Liberals have said they don't know how they will respond. They are both saying that they have some concerns I'm wondering, from your perspective, if you want to say anything about Dr. Williams' leadership as medical officer of health and whether his tenure should be extended. Oh, well, uh, I don't feel qualified to, to pass judgment on a doctor. Uh, my medical degree isn't as good as yours. So, uh, <laughs> well, but, I, I, uh, I guess I would ask that because public officers of health, local public officers of health, who you obviously have a, a close relationship with your public officer of health, some have uh, expressed, I, I wouldn't say, um, I would say some concern. I think that that would be fair, that there has been concern among local public health officers about the leadership at the provincial table. I haven't heard that from my medical officer of health, and I have found uh, in my uh, one or two encounters with Dr. Williams, I've found him to be an intelligent, respectful, attentive person who listens to you and then supplies you with the rest of the picture and 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 makes a sound decision so uh, uh i don't know we're in a we're in uncharted territory all kinds of unqualified people have unqualified opinions some of them held very angrily 
And I'm not sure that that's the way you want to pick your medical officer of health. I think that's a great point, uh, Mr. Mayor. I really appreciate that. Let's uh, move to travel restrictions. We have seen uh, mayors in other parts of the province write to the premier and talk about, you know, really trying to clamp down on people moving from gray lockdown areas to other areas. You're not in a lockdown. What would you recommend the premier do? I am content with what the premier and the cabinet have done. And some of my mayoral colleagues would like, uh, you know, more to be done. I think they're jumping the gun. Uh, but, you know, it could be that their medical degrees are better than mine. Uh, my community has relatively low numbers. Um, my shops and restaurants haven't been identified as the source of any COVID yet. Every one of my operators of small businesses in Oakville understands I, I see them all the time and they understand perfectly that their livelihood depends upon enforcing the rules about keeping your distance and wearing a mask and washing your hands and all that stuff and so you can come to Oakville but you can't misbehave here I was in a restaurant uh, a couple of weeks ago when six local teenagers like Oakville kids that some of whom I knew were lipping off to the to the restaurant manager and refusing to to you know behave and she marched them out and and i heard her tell them as as she threw them out you're jeopardizing the lives and the livelihoods of every one of my staff not to mention this business you don't have to be here get out and don't come back until you grow up i love that woman is that what the premier needs to say i mean do we need that kind of message i i, I think about oakville place for example the mall in your area uh, you can't go shopping at uh, Square One, but you can go to Oakville Place. Is that a problem? Um, I don't think it is, as long as everybody respects the guidance of the medical officers of health. You, you have um, look. We have a we have a contagion that's very infectious. It is um, extraordinarily uh, different in each part of the province. I'll just give you an example. Uh, the number of cases per million in Oakville is 5,500, and uh, in Brampton, it's 22,582 on Saturday. Uh, the numbers are probably a little, little bit higher today because, you know, everybody keeps adding um, anywhere from a few to many. So, uh, and, and just for interest, the cases per million in the United Kingdom and in Quebec are lower than in Brampton. So, you know, if you're... But Brampton you're, is not far away from Oakville. Like the, my, my point is, is, you know, there are other areas, like, for example, Scotland has said, like, unless you have a reason to go from your area to some other area, we are going to ticket you. Do we need and, that in Ontario? Well, we don't have Scotland's numbers. But, the, but look, Brampton's numbers are not being caused... Uh, by anything other, I mean, look, I'm not in Brampton. I'm not the mayor of Brampton. I'm very uncomfortable talking about other mayors' turf. But I read in the in the media that it's private house parties and the like that are driving the numbers in Brampton. Uh, um, and all I'm saying is that in areas where people follow the guidance of the medical officer of health, we do fairly well. And in areas where they don't, uh, we don't do very well. 
And if you come to Oakville, everyone will make you behave and you won't be welcome if you don't. That's all I'm trying to say. And I, I, I'm refusing to say that we ought to have, um, you know, uh, t- travel restrictions. I don't know how you'd enforce them in the first place. What am I supposed to do? Build a wall and make uh, Peel pay for it? <laughs> well, you know, there, there is precedent for trying that sort of thing. It doesn't seem to have worked out <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I, I guess it's, I understand that you can't, how, how you enforce it. I, I don't understand how you enforce it either. And, and I, I guess I look at British Columbia uh, where the messaging was so much stronger, and I don't know if that helps. If if saying something is a recommendation and saying it with your hands on your hips will change any more behaviors, you know, than than not doing that because we don't really have any choice. Like you say, I mean, how do we possibly enforce a travel ban within the province? The, you know what? The doctors have been giving us advice, and it's been consistent everywhere. And where they where their advice has been followed, keep your distance, don't go out unless you have to, wash your hands, wear a mask to protect others. The results have been better than in the places where people ignore that. And I think there's a powerful lesson to be learned there. And when we start talking about these other things, like, well, let's have travel restrictions that I don't know how you'd enforce in the first place, that's like a substitute for doing the right thing. Reminds me of Winston Churchill. When uh, in the early days of World War II, uh, he said uh, of one of his allies, he said, they always do the right thing after they try everything else. Well, once you throw in a a Churchill quote, I mean, really, where else is there to go? Uh, So we'll have to leave it there. Rob Burton is the mayor of Oakville. Thanks, uh, Mayor, for being on. It was great talking with you. With so much rough news out there, lockdown, all the pandemic ups and downs, the worries about a potential coup attempt south of the border, all of that drives you to distraction. What is it in your life that gives you some pleasure, takes you away from your day-to-day worries? For me, it's something dorky. I love history. I love digging back through history, learning about various uh, characters, and the figures, the towering figures of history. And here's somebody that I don't think I know enough about, and that is Robbie Burns. If I say Robbie Burns, you probably think to yourself, old Lang Syne, there you go, right top of the head, there you go. I don't know what it means, but I know we say it at New Year's. I know Robbie Burns Day. I know that I always look around to find out where my fellow Scots are to try and be able to swing an invite to a Robbie Burns night. Have a wee dram, maybe a bit of haggis. But beyond that, what do I know? I don't know that much. Well, I think my next guest might also take some pleasure from history amidst all of the chaos of today. John Iveson is a political affairs columnist, and writer with the National Post, and he's got a new book out called The Riotous Passions of Robbie Burns with Ottawa Press and joins me on the line. Hey, John. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, this is a historic novella. What what is that? Well, it's a it's a work of fiction, but it's uh, imagined through through the eyes of a, a made up character. But it's pretty much uh, bang on historically, or at least I hope it is. A lot of research went into it, um, and it's based on the life of Robbie Burns just after he released 
his first book of poems, and he was a bit of a rock star. I mean, it was almost like uh, a rock star blazing across the across through the skies. And he went to Edinburgh to try and release a second edition of this book, and it's about what happened to him when he went to Edinburgh. Obviously, people can hear from your brogue that uh, your background is as a Scot, but Robbie Burns is celebrated and cherished around the world. Give me a sense of his legacy and how he came to be who we see him as today. Yeah, I mean, all over Canada, there's 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 Burns statues. There's one in, uh, in Vancouver, Montreal, all over the place. Uh, you know, the Scots brought Burns with him, and he, and and more even more contemporary people. Uh, Bob Dylan loved loves Burns. I mean, it, it, he had a kind of universal appeal because he was writing about uh, themes that appealed to people of all ages, all classes, down through the ages. You know, he was writing about nature, he was writing about love, he was writing about politics. Um, but the things, the way that he was writing about politics were not specific just to his own time, but, uh, you know, poems like A Man's A Man For All That. If you read it, it, it reads more or less like John Lennon's Imagine. So there is a there was a, a um, an appeal to him, but it was it's been lost a little bit. Uh, while he's more famous now than he probably ever was, um, you know, as I quote in the book, there's a, another Scottish poet said, "Not not one in fifty knows a word that he wrote." You can buy a tea towel, you can buy a, a set of glasses, you can buy all sorts of Burns memorabilia, but but the kind of man has been lost in all that. And I guess that's what I I try to bring back here that. Uh, to try and bring him to life again. And most of the dialogue in the book from him comes from his own letters. He, he was a pr- prodigious writer. And all of those letters, most of them still exist. And there's some gems in there. And I, I sort of cut and pasted a lot of that stuff to create his dialogue. For a lot of people, the barrier might be that, of course, Burns wrote in Scots quite a bit. And I think, what is it called? Light Scots? Is that, is that the term? Lowland, that... Lowland Scots. So you would have Lowland Scots, Scots and, and, which was essentially Gaelic, and Lowland Scots, or Lowland Scots, which was, uh, which was a dialect. But actually, he, he um, all of his letters, for example, are in plain English. He wrote Lowland Scots in his poetry, but, but he wouldn't have spoken it as he wrote it. It was uh, not, not an affectation, but I think he was he was deliberately doing that. Um, he's much more accessible, I think, than people might imagine he is from some of his poems. And uh, anyway, hopefully people will buy this book and they'll get a sense of that. Is there a lesson for today from Burns? Well, he, he his time in Edinburgh, he kind of tried to break through the, the glass ceiling with... Uh, with women and with when it came to uh, his career ambitions, and you know, I think times have changed since then. I don't, I don't think it is, you would necessarily see the, the kind of struggles that he had, but I do think that that the struggles that he had remain universal. You know, he had he had uh, he had a lot of, a lot of problems in love. I mean, there are thirteen or fourteen children from about seven or eight different women. Those tales are as relevant now as they were then. Um, the struggles that he had trying to make a living. You know, he never sold his poetry, which seems crazy now, but, but copyright didn't exist. And therefore, he had to make his, his living as a farmer. He was known as the plowman poet, uh, as a, an excise man raising taxes on, uh, on alcohol and tobacco. Um, you know, his life was a struggle. He died at 36, and he was pretty much worn out by then. 
So I think that uh, that uh, people who re- might want to read this would get a sense of a guy who was uncommonly talented. I mean, th- th- there's no really ex- an explanation for for why this guy, who was a, was a you know essentially a peasant, rose to become the man he was. He just had this this I guess God-given talent, aided by the fact that Scotland at the time had about the highest literacy rate in Europe. Everybody was. Uh, meant to be able to read the Bible, so they were all taught to read. So this inspired a literacy that, you know, gave birth to the Scottish Enlightenment, among other things. And the book is about Edinburgh during the Scottish Enlightenment, where this flowering of knowledge spread out right across Europe. And people like Adam Smith, who wrote The Wealth of Nations, David Hume, other great thinkers were in and around Edinburgh. And Burns interacts in that environment. And I think it's kind of an interesting uh, time that... uh, that, that still re- resonates today. The, the ideas of the Enlightenment that we saw under such assault in the US over the last four years, those ideas are universal. Burns's life is still uni- universal. His poetry is universal. Uh, your other writing is um, more political in nature. I think the last time I might have had you on the program, yeah, you had released a, a book about Trudeau, and I wondered if I could just quickly ask you, as we you know once again see the Prime Minister back out in front of his black door at the cottage what your sense is of the mood of the country when it perceives the trudeau government and its handling of the pandemic i think things have gone i think i don't think that's a coincidence that he's back out there i think he's trying to remind people of how they felt when he was there and and, you know covid had just hit nobody knew what to do about it and he seemed to be in charge, at least. You know, he had an unlimited funds and he was spraying them hither and thither. And I think that they, they are worried that the mood is turning and that um, the government, governments everywhere are now going to start getting the blame for things going wrong because obviously things are, are more grievous now than they were back, even back then. So I do think that there's a concern. You know, I mean, governments up until now across the country, incumbent governments have held elections and won quite easily. I suspect that they are worried that, that an election is coming in maybe in spring, maybe in, maybe in fall, and that instead of getting the credit for having shepherded the country through a really tough time, they're going to start getting blamed for things like, well, where's the testing? Uh, how come our numbers are rising? Well, how come we didn't use that time better to prepare ourselves for a second wave, which, which is probably to be worse than the first wave? So, yeah, I think governments right across the country are now not seen as the saviors, but in fact the cause of some of the angst that people are feeling. John, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Alan. That is John Iveson, who is a columnist with Post Media, writes in the National Post, and he has a new book out called The Riotous Passions of Robbie Burns. It is available from Ottawa Press. Now, and coming up, of course, in a couple of minutes, we have the leader of this province, Doug Ford, will be speaking and just sort of playing off a little bit of what John was talking about there. I absolutely agree that the mood amongst the public is a lot more accusatory now than it was in the spring. And though Doug Ford still enjoys a solid popularity, that that fatigue amongst the public pretty quickly it can turn
very quickly. I think you probably think about it. You know in the past that public mood really does sometimes turn on what appears to be a dime. Just something will swing it one way or the other. And I think governments like Doug Ford's are at a bit of a danger point here. And this is where I've talked about this before, about Doug Ford's incredible communication skills, how he can talk like no other politician, just straight from the lip. And that plain spoken English has been very, very effective. But that kind of populist messaging can cut both ways. And if the mood begins to swing the other way, suddenly what Doug Ford has found is a very, very powerful weapon for him may work against him. That's the podcast for today. Thanks so much for joining me. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show, live weekdays starting at noon.